Let's hear ourselves singing it. Let's hear each other singing it together like one choir. Unified voice, unified faith, unified heart. Sing it out. Hope, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Hope, Christ be magnified. The altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Shelby, thank you for reminding us that, you know, sometimes worship, <laughs> I sing these songs and, and I, and sometimes I feel disingenuous because <laughs> I'm like, really? Like I would go in the fire? Like, <laughs> Ooh, that's big. <laughs> that's big. But as Shelby just reminded us, sometimes worship is saying, God, I invite you to come transform me. So that even if I am struggling to sing this right now, God, may I get to this place. May you bring me to a place where I'm so yours that this world has no grip on me and you got me completely. Because sometimes it is expressing our heart to God and sometimes it's just opening it so that he can come and do his work in our lives. And oftentimes it's both. That's what worship is. It's not just us giving, but it's also us opening ourselves. So, Lord, we, we confess together that we want to have that kind of faith that even if it takes us to the fire, even if it leads us to suffering, even if it costs us, Lord, may we know that you are still worthy and that you hold the highest value than even our own lives. And we always have the hope that no matter what we face here, that there is a promise of the resurrection to come, which brings value and life to everything we do because we know it has eternal consequence. So Lord, shift our eyes up, give us fresh faith, and may you open up our hearts and our minds to receive all that you got for us today. Can we just close this time by just singing the doxology together? Just praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Praise you, Jesus. You deserve everything. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Woo!
thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. Man. Thank you, Michael. Oh, wow. Our God is better than we think. <laughs> and I feel like I can always say that. No matter what we're going through, he's always better than we think. And man, I just want to say again, thank you guys so much for the love this month. Um, to me, to, 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 to my family, to the whole team, it, it goes so deep. And frankly, I, I could stand up here and thank so many of you who are ministering, who are serving Jesus in, in very real, costly ways. Um, and so I, I, I recognize that, man, it, it is not just us, it's everybody here. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for the privilege of being able to serve Jesus with you and for leaning in to his mission um, together. But are you guys ready to jump in for today? All right, we got two people. <laughs> is everybody ready to jump in for today? Okay. All right. <laughs> I love it. Because today we are beginning a new sermon series. And it is on a topic that we think about often, but I realize we don't talk about it here enough. We want more of it, but it also can be one of the biggest sources of frustration. It can make people immediately happy and deeply anxious, sometimes in the same day. We can spend decades chasing it, but yet it can be lost in a matter of minutes. We praise those who have it, and we praise those who give it away even more. Do you guys have any clue what we're about to talk about? Money. Some of you were here first service. It's not even fair. <laughs> but that's right. That's right. We're beginning today a three-week series on money. Because we think hard about it. We work long hours for it. It feels good to get more of it. But it can also be one of the biggest sources of frustration. It can be a huge burden on our lives too. And to put all my cards on the table from the start, I've hesitated to talk about it. Because anytime a pastor brings up money, people get suspicious. <laughs> you know that's true. Or at least they, they prepare themselves for some sort of guilt trip. So let me say from the start why we're doing a series on money. First, we're talking about it because Jesus talks a lot about it. Right. It, it comes up over and over in the Gospels. A quarter of his parables bring up money in some way. If you read through the Gospels, you're going to see it's one of the most frequently discussed topics that he teaches on. Because he understands the pull it can have on our lives. Therefore, we're calling this series, Jesus Talks Money. Because we're, we're looking at what Jesus says specifically about money and our relationship to it. Because if he is our Lord and we follow him... What kind of relationship are we meant to have with our money, our possessions, our stuff? But the second reason we're talking about it is because everyone else is right now. I, you can say it all the time people are talking about it, but, but the world is nervous right now. High levels of inflation, the Fed raising interest rates, market dipping, impending recession. And I just read this week, the Forbes, uh, Forbes came out with this article this week that says, if the Phillies win the World Series, history shows a recession is coming. I'm like, <laughs> we'll look forward to anything. But, every, but everybody knows who you're rooting for now, don't you? Yeah, you do. But the, but the point is, there's a lot of unknowns. We have a lot of questions. And we don't have a lot of control. And most of us, 
we swim pretty far downstream from those making the big economic decisions. And so we're the ones wondering, left wondering, if the economy declines, what's going to happen to my job? Am I going to be able to pay my mortgage? What's going to happen to my retirement? What about energy costs this winter? Like, man, you're getting real. Yeah. What's going to happen to our businesses? These are very real questions and concerns. And when we watch the news or we check out social media, we just feel the anxiety rising, don't, don't we? It's at it's it pinnacle, and it's hard not to absorb that. And if we're not talking about money when we gather as a church, then how will we find and know the non-anxious way that Jesus has us follow? So this is important. We must talk about it. And financial times like these, they lead us to a fork in the road. And we can travel one or two directions. Will we trust money and stuff to give us the comfort and the security that our hearts crave? Or will we trust our God in heaven to direct us because he alone is our security and our lasting joy? Because Jesus says we can't travel both roads because these roads lead in completely opposite directions. So which way will we choose? And so in his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, and specifically Matthew 6, he makes it clear how you can't serve money as Lord and God as Lord. The first is filled as a trap that ultimately leads to regret and confusion. The second is the way to life and freedom. And so Jesus wants to give us a fresh vision here for a life that pursues things of lasting value and that lives with our eyes and our hands wide open to whatever the Lord wants to do and however he wants to shape us. So let's read what Jesus says about money. Let's turn to Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. And if you want to follow in the Blue Bibles, we're on page 787. Or you can follow on the screen behind me. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And I'm going to read it, and then we're going to unpack it part by part together. Matthew 6, 19. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Excellent. All right, got a few more people. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? See, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So, Lord, as we jump into this together, man, this is going to be um, a lot to untangle and to understand. But not because you're not there to make it clear. It's just because, myself included, money is a force. So open up our hearts and our minds. So minds to understand, our hearts to, to, to own, and then our hands to live out. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, my guess is most of us can respond with a yes to this question, but have you ever had a day when money just consumes your thinking? (laughs) I have. You better believe I have. Man, when times are lean, when we're trying to climb out of debt, when the the future is uncertain, it's easy to feel like every financial decision must be weighed. Or for others of us, maybe you're part of a company and money is flowing in and and you or your boss, it's like all you can think about is how to keep it coming. Keep it flowing. Either way, money has a way of just being all that we can see sometimes. And for that reason, Jesus wants to lift our head so that we see a different road to travel. He wants to give us a vision for a greater way, a better way. What is it? He wants us to see what has true value. But how? See, when we've found what lasts, we've discovered true worth. Let me start there. When we found what lasts, we've discovered true worth. Whether we're aware of it or not, we're always searching for what's valuable. To be human is to be in consistent search of genuine weight or worth. That like metal detectors search the sand for some type of precious metal, our hearts are value detectors. And we are scanning the world constantly for, for what for beauty, for lasting joy, for true love, for for perpetual strength and security. And when we discover something that we think is of true value, we naturally begin to worship. Because to worship is to recognize true, lasting worth. That's why we were just singing, Christ be magnified. We were saying Christ is of true, lasting worth. And see, this ability of our hearts to be value detectors, this is not a bad thing. This is actually how God made us. And he made us that way so that when we do discover that he is beauty, he is lasting joy, he is true love, he is perpetual strength and security, a.k.a. worth, we'll worship. You guys tracking with me so far? But, When we elevate ourselves over God, our hearts get lost searching for true value. And we see that to be true from the very beginning. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve decided that instead of worshiping their creator as God, they were going to elevate themselves as God, which selfish ambition. And that selfish ambition then darkened their hearts So that now they thought that a created thing had lasting value, in their case, the fruit of the forbidden tree, and they ate of that. But you see, the root of all sin is to devalue God and ultimately elevate ourselves. When I say it that way, man, I realize, man, their story is my story. And it's all of our story. How many of us have done the same? I mean, human beings, we have this propensity for for great good. We do, but we also have a heart problem. That when we are, the moment we're born, and we're born with, with a sinful nature, and because of that, the prophet Jeremiah says that our hearts are always searching for lasting worth, but our hearts don't detect the truth very well. Oftentimes, they end up becoming deceitful above all things. And this is why Jesus said we often end up storing up stuff on earth that our hearts consider treasures. But Jesus said, but get it, none of that's going to last. None of it. 
And if you want to think about the kind of things that we end up treasuring, the deceitful heart ends up treasuring, I call the four P's. Possessions, power, pleasure, praise. The more possessions or money we gather, the more our hearts tell us, behold, Kirk, this is your lasting joy. <laughs> right? Or, or the, the more power we gain, our hearts say, hey, this is your strength. This is your security. The p- pursuit of pleasure is often just a search for beauty. And our hearts hunt for people's praise because we think if we finally gain enough of it, store up enough of it, then we will find lasting love. But Jesus is trying to pull the veil off of all of that and expose it for what it is and help us realize that none of this stuff's going to last. In our life, in Jesus' day, they had to worry about moths and vermin. Some of your translations say rust or thieves or the very thing that could take away these treasures. In our day, what are the things that often take away the things, our value, right? We think about inflation, economic recession, unstable jobs, changing public policy. Somebody's opinion of you begins to change. Then none of those things last. And even if we store up massive wealth, what comes of it in the end? Jesus told a parable in Luke 12 of a rich man who built up this massive surplus. But instead of a massive surplus of grain, but instead of sharing it with those in need, it says that he built an even bigger barn, put it up all for his own pleasure. But Jesus says the moment he built that barn, God came to him and said, tonight your life is being called back and Jesus leaves us with that haunting question, what worth was all of that in the end? Because we brought nothing into this world, and we can bring nothing out of it. You guys get that. So Jesus is guiding our hearts to get honest about what does last, so we learn to value that above all. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not forbidding owning private property. Nowhere in the New Testament does he forbid that. Nor is he forbidding us saving up for a rainy day or for future needs. Other parts of the Bible really hit on those things. Like Proverbs 6 praises the ant for working hard to store up what it needs for its day of need. But what Jesus is saying is that he wants us to recognize what, true, what has true lasting value. And that there is only one God in heaven who always has been and who always will be. And that those who trust in Christ by faith, you will be with him forever too. And if we know that to be true, then when we are with him in eternity, what will we wish we cared about in our short stint in this life. Gaining a larger surplus or growing to become like Jesus. Extravagant trips and cars or the moments spent investing in one another, our family, our kids. People's praise or the times that we spent sharing Christ with those who don't know him. And while it is important to work hard, and the Bible talks a lot about being wise and responsible with the money, energy, and and time that God has given us, Jesus here is more emphasizing what's the highest value. What has lasting worth? 
What, how can we use the resources God has given us in order to invest in what, in what lasts? What will we care about when we're with him forever? You guys tracking with me thus far? So Jesus unapologetically exposes our temporary stuff for what it is, but then what? Well, when we've discovered true worth, we can clearly see God's vision for our lives. So this next section, we see, we just moved verses 19 to 21, talked about the heart. And then we moved to verse 22, and all of a sudden it moves to the eyes. And it seems as we're reading, I'm not sure how you experienced it, but I experienced it as a random jump. Like I didn't, I didn't make that connection, but it's also because we aren't of that Hebrew culture like Jesus was. Because I need to give us a little Hebrew context. Because they were tracking with them even if we're not quite. See, in their minds, the eye was viewed as the body's guide. Wherever the eye looks, so naturally goes the rest of the body. So if the eye has a clear, is looking at a clear light, a light source like a lamp, the body will be able to see which way to go. But if our eyes can't see, our bodies are going to end up flailing around and it, it ultimately end up in darkness. So if I'm going to put this in our terms today, I, I want us to substitute the word eye here for vision and substitute body for lives. Because in order to say, wherever, whatever our vision is, so follows the rest of our lives. Because whether we're conscious of it or not, we all have a vision or a picture of what we want our lives to be. We all have dreams and desires of who we'll be and what we want to do. That's our vision. And you could read this as our vision is the lamp of our lives. If our vision is healthy, if we're focused on things that matter, then your whole life will be full of light. Because naturally, we develop a vision for our lives around what's most valuable to us. You guys seeing the connection now? These two sections, we naturally develop a vision for our lives around what's most valuable to us. Case in point, if money is the highest value, then the vision for our lives will be storing up and get, getting as much of it as we can. And then our lives will become consisting of, will consist of long hours, even at the expense of our family. Or if family is our highest value, then our vision is going to be quality time with them. And our life, lives will then consist of, of working to provide for them and spend time with them. If God is our highest value, serving him and sharing of him, about him with others will be our vision. And will direct our family life, our work life, and all of our life toward that end. You guys tracking? See, because what we value most becomes our vision, and our vision becomes our life. And because he loves us, Jesus warns us against developing a dark, or as he says here, an unhealthy vision. Matthew 6.23. But if your eyes, your vision is unhealthy, your whole body, your whole life will be full of darkness. If you're valuing an insufficient thing, a lesser thing, your heart is only going to grow darker. 
And the more you follow after things that do not last, that cannot last, the more confused or dark we become about what truly matters. Thus Jesus says, how great is that darkness. Now let me give you a parable of my own. All right. Let's say you're a skilled woodworker and you make beautiful dining room tables and you decide to start a business selling your dining room tables. Because, and the reason why you're doing this, your value in this, your vision for this is because you have this eternal sense of what matters. You love seeing people gather around a table and connect and share stories and grow together. And this is what you value most. And you're realizing that your business can serve that end. Because like guess who's coming to dinner? Some of you guys had a little of that last night, right? Guess, like guess who's coming to dinner? You see the ways that that a table can connect and build community. So you start your business and it starts growing. You're selling those tables left and right. You realize you can expand now. You hire more people. They're starting to sell your tables. And people, they love your vision. And so they continue to build on. But the more success you have, the busier you become. Now you're thinking about a lot more than tables. And think, well, maybe I can make a whole furniture line out of this. And before you know it, your eyes stop focusing on the original vision and value that is rooted in Christ. And you start focusing instead on the money. And you start thinking about getting bigger and better. And left unchecked, our hearts start to value what we give the most attention to. Please hear that. Our hearts learn to value what we give the most attention and energy to. And if you continue down that road in my hypothetical, tragic parable, you end up starting to value profit over people. Not because you started out that way. You may claim the same vision, but your life and your decision-making is oriented more around profit than people. And the reason why I share that is because I believe that fits in line with what Jesus is trying to warn us of here. That we are to guard our hearts above all else. For as scripture says, from it flows everything. What we value becomes our vision and our vision becomes our life. And if we recognize as a church that we worship Jesus above all and that he has the highest value, that he is the eternal one, he is the source of all light, and he holds the true vision for our lives, the question becomes, are, what attention are we giving to him? What focus are, are we training our hearts to value him above all else? Because there are certainly Many things around us vying for our attention. How many ads, commercials, marketing teams are spending billions of dollars to try to capture our attention to shape what our hearts value so that we will give them our time, money, and energy? Where does the whole materialism idea come from? It comes from we have bought the lie that the stuff is most valuable and we give our lives to it. 
news pundits, social media influencers. And they stir up anxiety in order to try to, again, capture our attention so that we will begin to value what they are promoting. But we also have a God who is speaking who is actively seeking us out and drawing us in by his Holy Spirit. And he is a generous God. And as we listen for his voice, as we remember who he is and what he has done, what can we see? See, when money owns us, it's a relentless taskmaster. But when God owns our money, he sets us free to live with hands wide open. So Jesus makes it clear in chapter 6, verse 24, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot live out two different visions for your life. Because he says either you will hate the one and love the other to be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Again, a little context here. The language of hate and love here is a Hebrew teaching expression, which doesn't literally mean we hate money if you're going to love God or vice versa. But it does mean that we love less or attribute less value to money than to God. So, for example, Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, you must hate anyone who comes after me. He says, you must hate your father and your mother. Now, he doesn't literally mean we're to hate our parents. But he is saying that you are to prefer Christ over anyone else. And so when we go back to verse 24, he's saying that we must choose what holds the highest value in our hearts because we cannot serve both God and money. But we certainly try to sometimes, don't we? (laughs) I mean, we'd like to. But as the late British theologian John Stott said, if we try to serve both, We'll serve God on Sundays and money on weekdays. God with our lips, but money in our hearts. God in our appearance, but money in reality. God with half our being and money with the other half. His point, if we end up trying to serve both, we really just end up serving money. Money. But hear me. Money as a master does not care about you. Money is not alive. It has no heartbeat. It has no desire to seek what's best for you, your family, or anybody else. It functions like a cruel slave master. Money only expects to take from you. And once you've given all you have, it expects more. But there is a worthy living God who also expects our whole lives, that we serve him with everything we are, including our money. But he's also the one who gave his life for us. And that seeing us in our sin, our hearts were lost about what really matters and what really what's worth living for. But then God the Father sent God the Son to step down and take on human flesh, to go to a Roman cross, to generously sacrifice his life for our sin. The God of supreme, eternal worth generously poured out his life for us. And all who trust in him 
He says, all who give their lives to him, you're not only called his servants, but his children. Romans 5, 5 says that he pours out his love generously into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's come to dwell within us. And it is this master, this Lord, who in the midst of our fear, our uncertainty, all the things that are going on in the midst of this world, it is this Lord who says, come to me, all who are weary of chasing money's false promises and burdened by its demands, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke, my vision upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? What? Rest for your souls. Do you not just breathe deep every time you read these words? When the economy is doing well and when it's not, this is the Lord of supreme worth who's worthy of our whole lives. And if we know that we are held within his hands, we can learn to be free and live with our hands wide open because we recognize he is the ultimate worth and our vision directed toward him and our lives follow. That as we pursue the lasting worth of our Lord, we can live with eyes and hands wide open. So as we're beginning this series on Jesus Talks Money, I want us overall to consider from the start, if he is worthy of our lives, then he's worthy of our money. So what vision does he give us for how we are to treat our stuff and our finances? And I want to give us three things to think about. Just going into this week, three things. First, how can we express by the way that we spend our money, that we treat our possessions, how can we express that God is our highest value? What does that look like? For example, if he is first in our lives, do we, from the beginning of our budget period, do we set apart a percentage of our income for him from the start, or do we wait until all our needs are met and just kind of give him what's left? And I'm not just talking about giving to the church, folks. I'm just talking generosity in general. Is the, how can we challenge ourselves to give a bit more to the point where it stretches our hearts to trust him more fully? But then second, I want us as a church to get a vision for what our God can do. I'd like for us as a church, everybody in here, to think about stories of how God has provided for you in very real ways. And I want everybody to think about those stories over this upcoming week. Because in response to next week's sermon, we're going to give everybody the opportunity to give a piece of paper we're going to have in the back and ask everybody to write down briefly your story of how God provided for you in a time of need. And then we're going to post them up. You don't have to put your name on it, right? Like, we know these things can be personal. You don't have to put your name on it. But we want everybody to think about, man, what's the story of when I was in this situation, God did blank. What is that for you? Because when we see all these stories posted together, what does that do for us as a community? It reminds us that our God is faithful and that he is generous and that we are held within his hands. And that's the point. So over this upcoming week, think about how has God met your needs in very real ways. 
And come be prepared to share that um, next Sunday. But last, so first, how can we stretch ourselves to trust God more fully with our money? Second, next week, we want to read your stories of God's provision. But last, some of you in this room, man, you are in over your head in debt right now. I don't know who you are, but I'm guessing if this is an average crowd in our society, there's, <laughs> there are people who are struggling financially right now and maybe you feel overwhelmed and not know what to do. Or there are people who are just getting started out and you don't know how to start a budget. You don't know how to even begin to manage your finances in a wise way. We as a church want to help you. We as a church want to help you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but we have in the church several different people with stories of how they were once in the financial pits of despair, but how God brought them out and put people in their lives to guide them toward greater financial freedom so that debt no longer owns them. And we have those people who we would love to set up one-on-ones with people in this church who are in need. If you're somebody like, man, I don't know, I'm just overwhelmed. I don't know where to turn. Then what I would like you to do, because I want this to be as confidential as we can, is I want you to just to scan the QR code in front of you and the feedback in front of you, which takes you to our digital connect card, or follow the link on the website. And QR code, look, or the connect card looks a little something like this. And after you fill out your basic contact info, you'll see there's a place on there to mark I'm interested in talking to someone about finances. Now, if you fill that out and you submit it, please trust. We take that very seriously that you're trusting us with that information. And we're only, it's only myself, the pastors, and potentially another person who can help. The only people who see that. But the point is, we want to make sure that you can be set up alongside somebody else who can help guide you and walk alongside of you toward greater financial freedom because it is not God's vision for our lives that we be so racked in debt that we cannot be free. Amen, somebody? He wants our financial freedom. He wants our financial freedom, not slavery. So in response to his unsurpassable worth, our hope is that we will all learn to trust God more fully so that we can be free to serve him with all we are and all we have. And as we pursue the lasting worth of our Lord, then we can live with eyes and hands wide open. Amen, somebody? Everybody stand up. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that instead of allowing our hearts to, to, to consistently be deceived as to what really matters and what has value in this world, that you called it out and called it what it is, temporary. And so, Lord, I pray, one, for those who are potentially just overwhelmed in their finances right now, God, that you will set them up with somebody who can come alongside of them and help them walk toward greater freedom. God, I pray that we will not be enslaved by debt, but Lord, that we treat our finances, our possessions, our relationships, all things that you've given us, we'll treat them as things that belong to you. And that we're simply stewards or caretakers of your stuff in service to you, the God of supreme worth. 
So orient our hearts to what really matters. May our vision for our lives match that and lead us daily. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for setting us free. In Jesus' name, amen.